Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season four, episode five, the halfway mark for season uh, four. And uh, we're coming to you today mostly from Colorado Springs, home of the Broadmoor Hotel, a place of class and style. And that's kind of the characteristics of equipping you podcast class. Very much so. Uh, This may be the biggest stretch of intro you've had. No, 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 not at all. I'm not being at all sarcastic. So... I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, the uh, Multiplication Leader for the Eastern PA District. And with us as well is Caitlin Guyberson, our producer. Caitlin, the Laugh Track Guyberson. Good to see you, Caitlin. And Always good to be here. Again, express our appreciation for all that you do. Today's uh, podcast uh, will be one of the most interesting we've ever had, I believe. And our guest is uh, Barnabas Piper, son of John Piper, familiar name in uh, evangelical Christianity. And uh, so he is a pastor's kid, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the challenges of, of being a PK, the challenges and blessings of being a PK. Alan, you're the one that found Barnabas, found the book that he wrote on this uh, topic. Fill in some of the blanks for us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw the book, you know, and um, I was looking for something else at the time, actually, and I saw this book pop up. I read another of his books called The Curious Christian, saw that pop up, and it dawned on me, like, I don't really remember seeing too many books about pastor's kids, and I thought, I, I got to read that. I'm married to a PK, and now I have three K, PKs of my own, and and it's as uh, it's it's a it's a different <laughs> way of looking at life, and so I bought the book, I read it, asked Barnabas to be on the podcast and he totally agreed and I was thrilled and uh, I think we're going to really love today's conversation. So a little inside information, we often do these intros after we do the interview and that's the case uh, today and I'm just going to tell you as a warning, this one's going to go longer. We did not stop and skip a bunch of stuff because we think this is highly important. So you're going to listen to about 40 minutes of an interview. It'll be worth every minute of your time. Yes, it will. And uh, you'll want to share it with uh, many, many people. So grab yourself some bubble tea, which is, I think, tea with bubbles in it or something like that. Great description. (laughs) Sit back. Relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. 
We can't wait to see you there. Well, after an important offline conversation about the important topic of Major League Baseball, we are now online and uh, welcoming Barnabas Piper to the Equipping You podcast. Thank you, Barnabas, for joining us today. That was a pleasure, and uh, I hope I hope what we have to say online is hope, more hopeful and more beneficial than our offline conversation. Although uh, I did enjoy it. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, yes to that. No doubt, true. So. Um, so uh, we love to uh, allow our listeners to get to know our guests a little bit. So tell us about your journey, relationship with Christ, as well as a glimpse into the ministry where you serve now, Barnabas. Yeah, that is a, uh, that's a very open-ended question, so I'll try to keep this concise. Um, uh, I am the son of John and Noel Piper, so those of you in ministry may have heard of my dad. He's a pastor in Minneapolis for 33 years and an author and just generally well, kind of well-known in the reformed evangelical world. Um, the timing of his ministry coincided almost exactly with the timing of my, my upbringing. So he, the first 30 years of my life were as a pastor's kid. So, uh, that, that was incredibly formative for both my faith and the struggles that I had in my faith. Uh, and, you know, just the, the ups and the downs. So professed faith real early, um, six, seven years old. I remember sitting on my dad's knee in his office and writing a prayer of committing my life to Christ in the front flap of my NIV children's Bible. Um, and, and that, you know, that was a, that was a course setter for me. And from that, from that point forward, I, I was, you know, I saw myself as a follower of Christ. Um, but there have definitely been a lot of ups and downs and some wanderings along the way too. never abandoning the faith, but really struggling at different points. Being a PK was created a real sort of love hate relationship with the church. I had a, I have a profound love for the church I grew up in and the people there and it felt very much at home. But also with that came a lot of the struggles and pressures of people observing and being aware of me and kind of the expectations I felt I had to live up to. And that played itself out later in life uh, as, as I struggled to figure out what does it mean for me to be a faithful follower of Christ as opposed to a kind of a living in the mold of John Piper. Uh, and that wasn't an expectation he put on me. That's just one that I felt. Yeah, so that, that kind of came to a head in my 20s with some real significant faith struggles that God used to break down a lot of the false expectations and false impressions of what I should be. And, and put me on a course of genuinely understanding what it means to have an identity in Christ. I was married for about 11 and a half years, and then that marriage ended. It's a long story, but the short version is that uh, my wife took a different faith course. And so that ended a few years ago. And uh, that was another thing that God used in a lot of ways to show his faithfulness to me and to kind of prove that the things that I was learning about identity in Christ were genuine. And, you know, I didn't, the, so that, that very painful experience didn't, uh, didn't wash away the faith that, that might have otherwise been fragile. And out of that has come some really significant changes in my life. In the last year, I've moved from working in Christian publishing, which I did for about 15 years, 14, 15 years, into working at the church that I have attended for the last several years. So I'm on staff at Emmanuel Nashville in uh, a role overseeing um, our small groups and discipleship and on a track towards a uh, pastoral role. So right now I'm 
not ordained, but moving that direction. And just recently got remarried. So that's uh, that's a brand new thing. We're talking the last few weeks. Congratulations! So, thank you. Yeah. So it's been it's been uh, it's been quite a journey. I have two daughters who are uh, fourteen and eleven. They both started middle school and high school this year in a pandemic, where they sort of go to school and sort of rely on me to teach them, which is <laughs> sort of a disaster. And uh, but they're they're wonderful and do an amazing job of of navigating all this better than I do or I would at their age. So yeah, that's. Uh, that's the the short kind of leapfrog version through points of my story. Shoot, you sharing that? No, that was uh, a lot and a little. I'm impressed that <laughs> you covered a lot of ground in some meaningful ways. You know, at the bottom line is, I, you know, lots of people have had varying kinds of uh, experiences past as kids, but you felt led enough to actually write a book about it. So, what prompted you to write the pastor's kid? It is not something I intended to do. Like I did not grow up thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna be a writer and do this thing. Um, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago some of those real profound faith struggles that God that God was very instrumental in during my mid twenties. One of the things that came out of that was a realization that writing was a thing. I had always been sort of good at it in the context where it was required of me. So writing school papers or contributing to this or that, um, but never had any, I didn't have sort of the, the nudge to do this in a way that benefits other people, write something for the sake of the church to encourage fellow believers, whatever. But out of, out of that, you know, one of, one of the ways that God moved was to put that in front of me and say, this is a thing you, you can do and you probably should do. And so I started on a very small scale writing you know, writing blog posts and contributing some articles to different places. And a couple of those articles were specific, specifically about being pastor's kids. So there was one for Ligonier um, and Table Talk Magazine on how to pray for pastor's kids. And then there was one for the Gospel Coalition uh, called something like Seven Things a Pastor's Kid Needs from His Dad or something like that. Mm. And the response to those two articles was was astounding to me. Um the pastor's kid article was one of their most, I think one of their most shared articles that year, it would have been maybe 2012. So it's been a few years. Um, and, and what I saw there was that my experiences are the same as just about every other pastor's kids who, who I encountered. So then I started intentionally reaching out to other pastor's kids via social media, some who I knew personally, and just kind of poking at their lives a little bit to say, Hey, what, did you experience the same thing? Did you, you know, what about these expectations? How did you feel in these circumstances when you heard these kinds of comments? And again, it just confirmed that the experience of the pastor's kid was two things. One was very common and it didn't matter if it was, you know, an 80 person Methodist church or a 7,000 person Southern Baptist church, the pastor's kid felt the same in both cases. Mm. And the other was, it was, it was largely unaddressed. I couldn't find anything to encourage me in it other than conversations, which were wonderful. Pastor's kids have sort of a unique connection to one another. Even if they're not like friend friends, there's just sort of a knowing, <laughs> we walk to the same road. We, we, we know a little bit about that. So that, that was kind of born out of that where I realized there's a, there's a void here in, in anything useful to encourage pastor's kids and encourage the church and maybe give a little prod to pastors on things that they could do 
to, to strengthen their families and encourage their kids. Um, and then the other was that it, my story was not unique. It was a shared thing. And so I could write potentially this thing that speaks on behalf of thousands of pastors, kids, and that that's kind of borne itself out over the last few years. Hmm. Appreciate that. You're right. It is a, uh, a fraternity, so to speak. Yeah. So Barnabas, um, uh, wondering what you've learned about being a PK from your growing up years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also what you've learned about being a PK now that you're a parent in ministry yourself. Yeah. So in my growing up years, it was, uh, it probably wasn't until adulthood that I could have, uh, that I could have articulated the kind of the unique aspects of being a pastor's kid for better and worse. Um, kids uh, are usually not very introspective. Uh, or self-aware. Mm-hmm. And so I felt a lot of things that it took me a few years to articulate, which, um, so things like the, the pressure to live up to certain moral obligations, the, you know, the, the number of times a pastor's kid might hear, you can't do that, you're a pastor's kid, when the, when the reality is, you can't do that because it's not Christian, you know, <laughs> you, you should be in the same boat as everybody else, but there's the additional expectation or right. you're expected to behave slightly better than the other kids. Um, the expectation to know all of the answers in a Sunday school class, those kinds of things. Um, those are, those are things that I felt, but maybe couldn't have articulated. I remember in high school blowing up at one of my youth leaders, uh, about, he was kind of coming at me with expectations and I just lost my cool at him. And it was the, maybe the only time I can remember really expressing my frustration at being held to a different standard. Um, but then I also learned the value of people who look past the, the pastor's family aspect of things and just say, I'm going to befriend you. I'm going to, or I'm going to mentor you. I had a couple youth leaders who just didn't seem to care all that much, uh, who my parents were they just looked at me and said, I think that God can do some things in your life. And I think God put me here to, you know, to be sort of an older brother for you and to, to walk with you through that. And so that, and that was a more pronounced thing because it, it was rare. And so those, I mean, that's just, those are just snapshots, I guess on the, on the things I'm learning about, about it from being a parent in ministry is, it was interesting. A couple months ago, I had a chance to go back and reread my book, The Pastor's Kid, for a new a new edition of the audio book. And I re you know in reading through it, <laughs> it was just sort of it was it was sort of teaching at myself at this point. So it wasn't just me thinking, "Oh, I'm putting this out there for other people." Now it was reading this, going, "Oh, <laughs> oh, I said that." <laughs> and there was and there was none of it I would change in terms of. I, I wish I had said that. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I would have said that differently. But it did remind me of the standard to which I now need to hold myself in terms of how am I interacting with my kids? What expectations am I putting on them? Am I emphasizing my relationship with them as a parent over my role at the church? What role does the church play in our lives in terms of family of God as opposed to some sort of employer or kind of the, the other lover. Sometimes the church is almost a mistress to people in mm. ministry. And so do they feel in competition with the church or do they feel like they're part of this thing, which is what we're, I think we're supposed to feel that this is our church. And so it, it drew the, 
it drew a real clear picture that I had written for myself of what I need to be as a parent. And, um, and it was a little intimidating and, uh, but also encouraging because I felt like, I felt like I wasn't failing in, in that way. I mean, every parent probably feels like a failure a good portion of the time, but in that particular area, I thought, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't screwed up in the ways that I've asked other pastors to avoid screwing up. So, so far, so good. I think you probably, you probably you need to interview humble, them right? on that one. Yeah, we do. We're going to invite your kids on our next season of podcasts. <laughs> That would be interesting, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> On a scale of one to 10, how bad of a screw up is your dad? Yeah. <laughs> more, more interesting would be to invite my own kids on. So <laughs> we're all in the same boat. Yes, for sure. So as I was reading the book, I, I think I'm, I'm probably an excessive highlighter. So that's a fault I have. Um, but certainly one of the things that I, if I did double highlight, this is one I would have double highlighted. This the The thoughts about how People know a lot about PKs, but PKs are not really known. You unpack that a little bit and like, how do you think that impacts the development of a PK? Yeah. Uh, so if my recollection is I used, I used the phrase something like PKs are known of, yeah. but yeah. not known. And, um, and again, that I think is universally true. Uh, d- doesn't really matter denomination or size of church, you know, so the church that I grew up in was fairly small when I was a young child, three, 400 people. So I guess depending on what part of the country you're in, that might be considered very large. I live in Nashville, 300, 400 people is a pretty small church here. Um, <laughs> but by the time I graduated from high school, it was maybe two to 3000 people and it grew to four plus thousand people kind of at its, at its peak. Um, so there's a whole range there and the experience didn't really change. Um, and in talking to other pastors, kids. So what that, what that means is the pastor is the most public figure in the church. And because of the nature of Christian ministry, everybody knows who his family is because family is such a big piece of, of the Christian life. So much of the Christian life is, you know, it's, it's, Scripture is full of parenting analogies and faith like a child and so many of the examples pastors give about their own life, for better and worse, are about relationships with their family. We went on a road trip and this happened or had a conversation with my son and this happened or my wife and I were in an argument and this is how it came out. And so there's the family just woven into the ministry of the church and what that what that ends up doing is putting all of the pastor's kids and the pastor's spouse, I don't think that they're in a very different boat. They just probably have a little more say in how it goes in a spotlight. So in a church of 500 people, the pastor's kid might know 150 of them. And that means if my math is correct, about 350 people will know who the pastor's kid is and they don't really know them but those people will come up and greet them by name. And it's a little bit odd to be greeted by name when you don't know somebody else. And it happens every Sunday. Uh, It's to have somebody come up and ask a question that's, it's a question you would ask of a a close acquaintance, a coworker. So not a deeply personal question, but it's it's a question that says, I know something about your life. You know, how was your vacation? Or how'd your team do on Friday night? Well, how do you know that I'm on a team and who are you anyway? Uh, so th- those kinds of things, and it, they're almost always well-intentioned. 
the yeah. people in the church by and large have wonderful intentions. They're, they're trying to be friendly, to be warm. There's the, you know, every church has a few bad apples, but not usually more than a few. And, uh, but the cumulative effect is that the pastor's kid feels scrutinized, feels under observation, feels like he or she can't escape and just live a normal life because people observe and know about everything. And I mentioned those two or three kind of mentor figures in my life. They fall in the category of people who sought to genuinely know me. I have a handful of friends who, who I grew up with who just were never at all interested in the fact that I was the pastor's kid. It was just, they were just my friends and, and they're still my friends to this day. That's a knowing as opposed to a knowing of. There's just a, the people who are genuinely encouraging or who ask the pointed questions that get under the surface. Because the other thing that pastor's kids learn how to do is project. They could just project whatever is expected of us. So some pastor's kids withdraw, some pastor's kids rebel. I think most pastor's kids live somewhere in the middle and put on a face. Mm. And it's not intentional hypocrisy. You know, we're not trying to lie to people. It's really just a, this is what it takes to survive here. Sort of a chameleon aspect where you roll into the room and you're like, oh, this is a room full of little old ladies. Got to put on my little old lady face and, and have, and have the, the kind of conversations that are respectful and warm and impersonal. And then you roll into a room and you're like, oh, this is the, you know, I don't know. It's the, it's the, the missions board or the board of elders or whoever. And you, you adjust accordingly, all of which leaves the pastor's kid with a very little sense of who he or she is because we only know what we're supposed to be. And it's only around those handful of people who genuinely know us where we can sort of let our guard down and just be vulnerable. But over time, vulnerability can, can become harder because it doesn't feel safe. And there's very few occasions to actually be that in terms of what are my actual doubts? What am I really struggling with? What are my genuine joys? What do I really want to pursue with my life that doesn't seem totally acceptable to this conservative church or whatever the case may be? So Barnabas, you say in your book that PKs need a parent more than they need a pastor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about that. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, I see. And and again, I think this is said with really good intentions that, uh, that people should pastor their families you know, men should pastor their families. And I, I get where that's going, but I think, I think for pastors, it's really not good advice because they pastor everybody else. And the last thing their kids want when dad rolls in is more pastoring, Mm -hmm. no more sermons, no more counseling, no more lectures, uh, no, no office hours, just like play ball with me do a puzzle with me, laugh with me, ask me how I'm doing, be completely human. Um, pastors play a role for a church and they, they play multiple roles because they get so much gets asked of a pastor, um, especially on a smaller church staff because pastors have to wear multiple hats. So they're, they move from marriage counseling to financial counseling to uh, dealing with an unruly teenager for another family to sermon preparation to Wednesday night prayer meeting. I mean, they're just doing all this stuff. That's none, none of, none of that is what their kids need. Their kids need somebody who comes in and sits down at the dinner table and says, how was your day? 
and then listens to them about the teacher they're frustrated with or the you know algebra assignment they're struggling with or the girl that broke up with them or whatever and has fun with them and invites them into their hobbies and then at the spiritual level even more so it needs to be deeply personal every pastor's kid knows where their dad stands on issues that's different than knowing what their dad is afraid of or how he prays or what his relationship with Christ looks like or what he finds encouraging um, or what his fears are, you know, and that's also different than, you know, we all know that our parents are sinners. Everybody knows their parents are sinner, but for a parent to come to the kid and say, I'm sorry for losing my temper. I'm sorry for being impatient. I'm sorry for not making time for you the way I should have. Would you forgive me? And here's how I'd like to, you know, take steps to grow in this. That's loud to kids because that shows the gospel. It shows humanity. It shows, you know, it just takes the, the pastor stigma out of the relationship. And I think, I think that that's a glue that even when, like, that doesn't change the pressures on the pastor's kid but it makes home a place that is that is genuine and deep and safe and and the relationships there uh are an anchor even when other places don't feel so safe and secure yeah yeah i think that's true i know i'd be interested to have my kids on here as well i've i've tried to ask them over the years you know how i did as a pastor slash a father that was a pastor you know and um there were decisions that we made. So for instance, like we, I can't even tell you when we had family devotions, because I was so worried that I would come across as another teaching time from dad when they already listened to me every single Sunday. Uh, so we were pretty intentional about just trying to integrate faith conversations in life. Yeah. Trying to disarm them. And, and, by the grace of God, I think I apologize specifically like you're talking about here at times. I, there's probably more I missed than I did, but I think my kids were gracious to me. Yeah, I think so. that the family devotions one is a really interesting point because I think I've, I'm not a fan of family devotions for a pastor's family. Yeah. Um, so growing up in a pastor's family, I hated family devotions, mm. like with every ounce of my being, because so much of my life was... Bible teaching. And so much of my life was listening to my dad expound upon scripture, which is what God has called him to do. And he's really good at it. Uh, but sitting in my living room doing it, I was like, I already hear this four times a week. <laughs> yeah, And so, and then, you know, those other aspects, like my parents prioritized it to the point that sometimes it was a hindrance to doing things I would, I was on my way to do. So when I had kids, I kind of rejected family devotions and realized there's a difference in the pastor's family from the layperson's family, because I wasn't in vocational ministry for a long time, which means that my kids were not being taught four, five, six times a week in other contexts. Um, so family devotions for somebody who, like, that is the primary spiritual input for their family is really valuable. For the pastor's family, it might be too much. Like you might be burdening your kids and, and uh, kind of turning them off to enjoyment of the word. Whereas conversations about, you know, <laughs> conversations abound all the time, especially as your kids get older. You know, you look at the news and you see something about, something about Islam, something about 
gender fluidity, something about, you know, there's political controversies out the ear. There's all these things. All of those are opportunities to, to talk about what, is it, what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus in response to this. And so I think those are profoundly fruitful. Those you know, those are the conversations I still like having with my dad, just the, the life conversations, because that's where, yeah. that's where wisdom is caught. Yes, you know, I, I look yeah. up to my dad for his wisdom. I'm not that interested in being taught by him at this point, which sounds probably disrespectful to some people, but, but I like the relational and the wisdom, not the lecture and the sermon for the most part. And, and for that reason, we have a pretty decent relationship because he doesn't teach at me anymore. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think the the family devotions and the intentional teaching in the home needs to be weighed carefully by pastors because it can be a burden to pastors' kids. Whereas if you're an engineer, it's probably really good to set aside time two, three, seven times a week to spend time in the Word with your family because they're not at church in the same way. They're not as just inundated with Scripture. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate that. Um, it's definitely something that each pastor's family has to weigh out and figure out what is the right, you know, balance or rhythm of that. So, um, you mentioned the book about expectations that churches have for their pastors that create challenges for PKs. Uh, talk about, talk about those for a little bit. Yeah, it, it seems to me that there is a, now this might be changing, just kind of culturally shifting, but I think it still exists um, a lot. There seems to be an expectation in a lot of churches that the pastor is sort of the Superman, kind of good at everything, expert at everything. Um, you know, when, when we run into a crisis, who do we go to? We go to our pastor. And in a sense, that's a good thing because you want a believer looking, to, looking for spiritual guidance in times of crisis. However, that's, diff- that's a slightly different thing than the pastor being expected to have all the answers mm-hmm. or be the expert on, you know, which is why it's incumbent on, you know, the, uh, the pastor to say, let me refer you to a really good financial uh, advisor, a really good counselor for your teenager, somebody who deals with depression, somebody who can help you through recovery after addiction or infidelity or whatever. Um, pastors are, are really good for some things, usually not for areas of specialty and expertise. So that expectation though, kind of, it, it can become a self-propagating thing where the, the congregation views the pastor as the expert. Then the pastor begins to view the pastor as the expert. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, he usually ends up not being great for the church and really not being great for his family. Um, I think one of the best things a pastor can hold on to is the ability to say, I don't know. I'm not the guy to ask about that. Let me help you find the person to ask about that. Also true with his kids. You know, we're no kids are that impressed with our parents. I think all of us would say that. Like we're just, we, we know full well who our parents are and who they aren't. That's so and, stinking humbling. Yeah. And you know, it, it, at 18, our kids think we are complete morons, maybe 16. I don't know. Maybe by 18, it starts to shift. And by 25, they've gained a measure of respect, but they're also really aware of what we don't know. And so we should probably just be aware of what we don't know in advance and, mm-hmm. and just kind of Good word. We need to, we need to do that for a church congregation, but we really need to do it for our families too. 
And by 30, they think we're senile, just uh, <laughs> just to add that little dimension. So, uh, Barnabas, if you could suggest a simple step for pastors to take that would help their kids follow Jesus, mm. what would that be? I, I think... I think two things that, that kind of go, it gets balancing two things. One is have fun. Don't be so serious about things that are biblical that it, that it becomes burdensome. The, the lifestyle and the, um, the, pers- the uh, kind of the, the persona of a parent speaks to a child. So if things of the biblical nature are always somber and serious, it, it's not very appealing to, you know, like an eight-year-old, whereas laughter is and, and fun is. And so being able to balance happiness and joy with your spiritual life. And the other is be a repentant person to your family. I think one of the things that will show kids the nature of the gospel and the heart of Christ as much as anything is parents who will repent to them for you know, everything from, I lost my temper. I didn't, I was late to your game and I promised I would be there. Whatever. We, we all screw up all the time, but with that, it, it shows that we believe in forgiveness. It honors the child. The child is, the child holds the power when you repent to them because you're asking for their forgiveness and they don't have to give it to you. But it creates a dynamic then where when you say, now you need to apologize, you know, we all tell, tell our kids that you need to apologize. You need to apologize to your sister for calling her whatever name. But they've seen that modeled because we've apologized. So this is what I'm sorry and I forgive you is supposed to look like. And that's a lifelong, that's a lifelong thing. All of us to God all the time. God, I failed again. Would you please forgive me and help me, you know, live faithfully? And so there's, I, th- I think it's, it's those two things. It's, it's having fun so that the Bible and the Christian life seems effervescent and being a repentant person so that there's just a constant sharing of grace mutually and reflection of our need for God's grace. That's great. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So undoubtedly we have some PKs carrying some hurts from growing up in the church out there. They might be some of the pastors that, that are listening. They may be filling both roles. What's a good step for them to take toward healing? One of the most profound things for me was stepping outside of the family focus and looking much more closely at the relationship with Christ. When I was in my most sort of profound struggles of what do I believe, what, what was handed to me versus what do I actually hold to, which of this is real, which of this is just something that is somebody else wrote and I just believed it because I was 12. So I was, I was probably 20, 26, 27. A, an elder at the church that I was a member of at the time who was kind of walking with me through this very difficult time just said, uh, I would like you to try to forget all of your Sunday school lessons, your theological frameworks, your... Uh, your presuppositions as much as you can. And he knew full well, that's not, that's not possible. But the idea being, just try to erase the, the chalkboard as much as you can and go read the Gospels and see who Jesus is. 
Mm. Who is the Jesus that you are trying to figure out and that you have claimed to follow for 20 years at that point? God used that remarkably to show me the freedom of this is what it means to follow Jesus. And this is what it means to, to not totally be good at following Jesus. And it was the passage out of Mark 9 where the father brings a demon-possessed son to Jesus. Um, nobody's been able to cast the demon out of, his, out of the boy. And he says, you know, Jesus, if you can help me, would you? And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes and the father's response is, I believe, help my unbelief. And that simple, that simple sentence, I believe, help my unbelief, became a paradigm for me to have confidence as a believer, which then helped shape my, my identity in the church, in my relationship with my family, strengthen my relationship with my parents, because I could cling firmly to certain things that I knew I believed. I believed these things about Christ, about scripture, about the nature of God, about the character of God. Help my unbelief applies to everything else. The stuff I wasn't sure of, the stuff I struggled with, the temptations, the guilt, the hurt. Um, and so it became something that was a, and there's really, there's freedom in that. Mm. It doesn't say I believe full stop. In, in one moment, he says, I do believe enough, you know, sort of the, the faith, like a, faith like a child or faith of, a, of like a mustard seed. There's, this, there's a little bit of faith there. And then there's all this other stuff that he's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't totally know. And so for, for pastors, kids who are hurting, I think focusing on that relationship with Christ. And the remarkable thing there is that Jesus looked at that and said, that's what I wanted. I wanted you to come to me in faith, and then just to acknowledge your need or acknowledge your hurt or acknowledge your struggle, your pain. And I think that's the starting place. Yeah. And it, it helps sort out bitterness. It helps, which pastor's kids often carry a fair amount of. Uh, it helps sort out broken family relationships. It doesn't, when I say sort out, I don't mean it's going to make them all better, but it gives you an anchor and an identity in the midst of it so that those things are not the shaping factor of your life anymore. It's how does Christ see you? How does Christ respond to you? Um, and that's, I think that's the starting place. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really helpful and honest yeah, and grace oriented. So Barnabas, we're going to end on a positive note. Not that everything else hasn't been positive <laughs> in, in a sense too, but tell us a couple of the benefits of being a PK. Oh, these are my favorites. Um, I, I do always save them till the end. Like I think it, it did in the book as well. And I kind of felt bad because it was like struggle, 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 struggle. But don't worry. There's some, there's some icing on this cake too. So the things that come to mind readily are pastors, kids are more than just about any other group of people filled with the word of God by accident. We're just around it so much that the raw materials for God to use are, are stored away Bible memory and sermons and Sunday school lessons and all of those things, uh, which we very well might have resented at the time, but it's God's word. Like it is, it's, it's perfect. It's holy. And it's the thing that the Holy spirit uses. And it's just there for us in our minds and our memories. I find myself regularly being surprised at stuff that is in my mind that I don't remember learning, but that, that God gave me as a gift through being a pastor's kid, just the amount of scripture in there. 
Um, I think another benefit is as much as pastor's kids see the ugly side of church, and sadly, there's a lot of ugly side, we see the great side of church. We get to see what a real encouragement looks like, what it looks like for, for people to recover from sin, to be saved, to go from immaturity to maturity, to see, you know, just struggles overcome the work of God in a body of believers over time, if we're paying attention. So we're around that all the time. And I think for pastors, it's helpful for us to point our kids to those things, you know, so that they, so that they see God at work and his people. Uh, the last one is um, one of the things that surprised me most in, in, writing on being a pastor's kid was the number of PKs who end up back in ministry. Cause at the time I wrote it, I wasn't, I wasn't in vocational ministry and I thought they were all kind of crazy. Uh, here I am ironically and in God's sovereignty in ministry now. So he's chuckling at me, but I realized that pastor's kids have, it's almost like an, a ministry apprenticeship for somebody to come from outside the church into ministry is a shock to the system because the church is a weird place to work. <laughs> and that ugly underbelly can really catch people off guard. Yeah. If you grew up in it, it's hard to be caught off guard. You're all in, you're like, yep, there are mean people and there are complaining people and there are people who don't show up. And sometimes money is tight, but that's just all part of the thing. And I know from watching hopefully really good parents, how to navigate some of these things, how to have faith in the midst of them. And so there's a, there's just a preparation for ministry that puts us on in a position to serve the church. Well, maybe vocationally, but at the very least, just as a good church member, how to, how to treat the pastors in such a way that we wish our family had been treated um, that kind of thing. So there's, there's a real benefit to the church through the, the, the baked in ministry for pastor's kids. Yeah. Barnabas, thanks for uh, sharing your story, your experience, your struggles. Uh, I think this is going to be helpful to uh, a lot of PKs as they listen to it and a lot of pastors and pastors wives as they listen to it as well. So um, we uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. You've been very helpful and uh, we pray God's blessing on this uh, uh, leg of the journey in your life. Amen. Thank you. It is, it's been uh, it's been a privilege, and yeah, I hope I hope my words are encouraging and helpful to people. It's always it's an honor to get to speak to anybody in ministry in a way that that might help them and help their family. So thank you. Our pleasure too. Thanks a bunch. Well, I hope you're glad we let the clock run longer than we usually do, and that you appreciated and benefited from this uh, uh, topic and conversation. I know I did. Plan to share it with my kids and uh, follow that up with conversations uh, with them because they're PKs. They were district kids actually uh, for 10 and a half years of their growing up years, but PKs as well. And uh, Alan, what'd you, what'd you hear that you just said, wow, that's helpful. Wow. I mean, it was, it was a totally rich conversation and I appreciate him speaking uh, for the sake of the fraternity of pastor's kids because there is something different about being a PK. And, you know, he nailed the conversation with grace, with honesty, with some helpful tips, but not like simplistic tips <laughs> that, you know, that just solves all the problems. Uh, it was real. And um, I loved at the end, you know, he's just saying, we have to make sure that as pastors, of pa as, as fathers and mothers of pastor's kids, that 
we make life fun and especially our walk with God fun because when it's the business of their parents to do church, it can become business. And we want to make sure it's, he, he called it adding effervescence. Um, and I love that uh, little analogy. So that was a good takeaway for me. And I'm really thankful for what he shared there. Um, I'll be sharing it far and wide, not just on social media, but like literally inviting my friends person to person to listen to it. Cause I think they're going to benefit. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I plan to do the same. So hope you'll do that as well. Thanks for listening. Uh, hope you find these podcasts helpful and encouraging in your life and in your ministry. And uh, we love the opportunity to uh, share these interviews with you. That's all for this time on season four, episode five. We'll see you next time on episode six. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.